everybody. So if you've been tuning into the Everyone Talks to Liz podcast, and I'm so glad you do, and spread the word. For some time now, you know that we share the most incredible American dream stories that feature a very specific type of person, people who were thrown all kinds of drama and stumbling blocks, but then gathered all the failures and the stumbling blocks together and used them as stepping stones to reach unachievable heights, or at least people thought they were unachievable. When this week's guest was just six years old and living in Los Angeles with a single mom and a really tight budget, he still found a dime of his own to give to the Salvation Army. His mom had always told him, look, you may be poor, but there are so many people out there who are less fortunate than we are. So whatever you can do makes you a better person. Well, uh, that little boy would grow up to be a billionaire several times over. But between the billionaire status and his young childhood, he did everything from pumping gas to doing janitorial work to selling encyclopedias door to door. And he also became homeless at one point in his life. But let's hear how he did it. And I shouldn't even say did it. It's how he's doing it because he has not stopped. We welcome co-founder of hair care giant John Paul Mitchell Systems and founder of Tequila Maker Patron Spirits, John Paul DeJoria. Thanks for coming on Everyone Talks to Liz. Oh, Liz, it's my pleasure. What I love talking to you, but your show is great because it lets people know that the world and America still works and that entrepreneurship, no matter what happens, will work. You got to stick it out. And while you were talking, it reminded me of a little story I'd like to maybe start out with your guests. It's very, very short. Sure. When I was when I was in high school at John Marshall High School in L.A., there was a young lady named Michelle Gilliam, and we were in Business 101 in 11th grade. We were passing notes back and forth, you know, stupid <laughs> notes like, see you at Winchell's after school, Ronnie and Diana going to study. Anyways, Mr. Wax our school teacher, busted us, took the note away, he caught us passing it, read it to the whole class, and it was a silly note, right? But then he looked at the class and said, this Michelle Gillian and Johnny DeJoria, he says, you don't want to hang out with them because they're not going to go very far in the business world or any world at all. Just know that, okay? <laughs> so anyways, Michelle and I really paid no attention to him. When I got out of the Navy, uh, I got back to the United States. My friend said, boy, your buddy Michelle really made it big. I said, Michelle Gillian, they go, you don't know? I said, no. Michelle Gillian is Michelle Phillips of the Mamas and Papas. Jay, on my 50th birthday, Michelle found him and brought him to, because we're still buddies, brought him to my 50th birthday. <laughs> and we remind him and said, thank God we didn't listen to you. But the lesson learned here is this, that in life, unless people tell you something positive, or if there's a challenge, tell you the challenge, but give you something positive along with it, don't listen to them. The masses sometimes are wrong. Even those in authority sometimes are wrong. They're, they're saying things that they don't have enough information on. So it goes back to believe in yourself. I've always said one of the best things someone can do to you is tell you you'll never make it because <laughs> that should make you double and triple down. I, You know, I had that when I was a production assistant. I'm from L.A. as well. My first job on air was at KCBS Channel 2 News, and I was a little production assistant for John Schubeck and Trisha Toyota. And I, well, got, I remember that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I got yelled at 
by a managing editor, I, I actually made a mistake. I put the teleprompter pages down wrong and one line covered another and Schubeck yelled at me and somebody else got upset and said, you know, you're just not going to make it in this business if you don't get your act together. And I thought to myself, well, thank you for just lighting a fire and throwing gasoline on that fire because don't crumble up and shrink, right, when something like that happens Sorry. to you. You know, many times, Liz, when whether I'm talking to the homeless, which I do often, or whether I'm in a university or even some of our government agencies, I always bring up this to everybody, whether it's in a business or your own personal life. There's true two very important things to know, two very, very important things to know. If you know these two things, you're ahead of the game. The first one is what we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. It's rejection. First rule is no, like no. You're going to get a lot of rejection in your life. You're going to get it in your personal life. You're going to get it in your business life. You're going to get it in your whatever you're doing. You're going to get a lot of rejection. That's what human beings are all about. If you know it from the very beginning, you're going to get a lot of rejection. It doesn't hit you between the eyes and change your life. An example, when I sold encyclopedias for Collier's door to door, no appointments, all cold calling. They don't even know you're coming. They said that, you know, if you go 50 doors and they're all slamming in your face, be just as enthusiastic on door number 51 because it's going to happen anyways. Those that are and won't let you get it down are going to make it really good. The average life of an encyclopedia salesman is three days. It's commission only, mm -hmm. period. I lasted three and a half years, but I believed what they told me. I believed it. I was a young guy out of the Navy. I believed. It. I said, God, they must be right. And I think for me, it was maybe 101 door that I got through the first door to give them a presentation. Really? But Oh, yeah. But rule number one is you've got to believe and know that throughout your whole life, you're going to get rejection. And if you think past in your life at times that gave you rejection, many times you take that one incident and it stays with you and you think it over and over and over again. But if you know that in your life, you're going to get a lot of rejection, then it's trivia opposed to something that's extremely vital. The second thing is in your life, your business life and your personal life, Never go into the selling business where you want to sell somebody something. Whether you're selling a mate or a friend on yourself as a good friend, or whether you're selling a product or your service in a business, if you think that, what do I have to do to sell myself? You're only going to get so far. It's temporary. What you should think is, I'm not going to go in the selling business for myself or my business. I'm going to make sure that me or my service or my product is so darn good I'm going to go into the reorder business. The subscription that, business, exactly. My goal is whatever I'm doing is going to be so darn good, people are going to want to reorder it or tell people about it or look at me long-term, not just short-term. Two very important things. Well, let's rewind the tape a little bit of your life, and I need to know where you were able to at least get this type of emotion and belief to germinate. Um, your childhood, growing up in L.A., uh, your mom was a single parent raising you and your brother, correct? That's right. Very tough. And what was that uh, like? And it did start there. It, it actually started with a comic book. When I was in the, uh, oh, let's say eight years old, nine years old, 
I, on the back of a comic book, they were more trusting those days. You filled out this little coupon and you mailed it in and it said Christmas card sales. You can make up to 50%. So I was a little kid. It cost nothing to send it in, by the way. And then I got my little kit in the mail. It was five different Christmas cards. And you would go to your neighbors and say, hi, how'd you like a custom Christmas card? We can put your message inside. Here's five you could pick from. Well, not everybody got it, but a few did. They would give me a deposit. The deposit was 50%. I, in return, would send that 50% deposit in with help of my mother and a cashier's check. Uh, We would send it in to them. Or uh, if they had a check, they'd make it out to the company. In return, the company would send me the Christmas cards back. And then when I went and delivered them, that money I got to keep. Uh. So I learned that by first of all going to neighbors that you could have a little business going. Now, maybe I made that Christmas $5. It wasn't much, but it was an idea. And then around 11, my brother and I always worked. So my mom needed the money we kind of pitched in. That we pitched in like 90% of everything we made went to the household. And uh, we went out and had newspaper routes. However, we made $32 a month each. That's why my brother and I made with the LA Examiner. They didn't pay us much. <laughs> but we, was, for little kids, it was money. This was the mid-50s. Anyways, but if you had a brand new order in your area or someone else's, you got an extra dollar for it. And that was a lot of money back in the mid-50s. So all of a sudden, we realized, let's go knocking door to door and say, hey, would you like to subscribe to the Examiner? Well, we did that and maybe one in an hour would say, well, maybe just a Sunday paper. And But at least we learned we could talk to people. Mm-hmm. Now, as time rolled on, the biggest thing was selling encyclopedias after getting out of the Navy. That's rejection personified. You have to memorize a half-hour presentation. You go into an area that your manager drops you off at. You have no idea who's there. You go knocking door to door, and doors are closed in your face. And when you give a presentation, at first, you give 10 presentations and make no sell. Well, for me, I think I gave about seven and finally made a sale. But as you refine what you're doing and you make it better and become more confident in yourself, all of a sudden I was selling one out of every three presentations. So, for example, if I know I knocked on 50 doors and there was somebody home, maybe I could get into 20 of them. If I could get three presentations out, my average is going to be at least one of those. So now my motivation was knock on more doors, give me more uh presentations because at the very, very end, no matter who says no, I'm going to eventually get something out there. Now, were these tough times? They sure were. When I first started selling encyclopedias from Atwater in Los Angeles on Glendale Boulevard, I would take the bus to downtown LA to Mm. 7th and Spring where the Collier's office was and hope the guys would get me back to the office parking lot by 930 because the last bus home was at 10 o'clock at night. So it was very, very difficult in the first couple weeks, the first week or so. So I made zero money, but kind of believe that eventually I'm going to do it. Well, John, John, I have to bring up the the atmosphere that we're in right now. This takes extreme strength within to absorb a lot of blows, absorb quite a few rejections, and then the payoff might not be so huge initially. I don't know many kids who are graduating college or who knows, graduating high school who have that fortitude, what, what have we lost in our society? You know, that's a, boy, do you ask good questions, okay? It, immediately, it just flashed on me, high school, 11th grade. 
once again, the 11th grade. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. walk, working the 11th and 12th grade at Stewart's Cleaners, which was down the street from my house. After school, I go to Stewart's Cleaners. I made a dollar fifth a quarter an hour because you had to pay kids in those days a dollar and a quarter an hour working for Stewart's. But I loved working so much. And the fact that as a kid, I had a job. That's why the paper route was incredible. Even though we had to give most of the money to my mom because we wanted to, was I have a job. In those days, when I went to high school, they had metal shop, wood shop, print shop, Photoshop, welding shop. When you graduate from high school, you could go immediately into a trade. That was all in the schools. And you talked about how great it is to have a job. We just thought it was great. So when I went to work for Stewart's Cleaners, I never wanted to lose that job. I had a job. So I knew that I was going to do everything I was supposed to. I was the guy that swept the floors, that brushed the blankets, that put the little drape on the hanger. That's what I did. But from home, mom showed my brother and I working when we were young. One week, my brother would wash the dishes, I would dry them, and we'd switch off. The next time, we'd wash and dry the dishes, the other one sweeps the floor. We switched off, so we were used to working. At Stewart's Cleaners, Stewart called me in one day and said, Johnny, come up here. I said, oh my God, what did I do wrong? He says, last night I worked late. I went up to the little mezzanine to lay on the cot. I took my watch off. It fell on the ground. I went down and picked it up. I looked under the cot, and it was clean. There was no dust. I pulled the cot back, and there was no dust behind it either or behind where you could get in the file cabinets. Behind it, no dust. You move everything. I said, Mr. Stewart, I want my job. You hired me to be a janitor and do everything else. And sir, that's what I'm doing. He says, I've never worked with anyone that did something like that when nobody else was What's watching. Yeah. I'm giving you a 25% raise. I'm giving you a 20% raise to $1.50 an hour. I was the happiest kid and probably where I went to high school, the highest paid kid in that high school. <laughs> Yay, Stuart. We love yeah, Stuart. <laughs> what happened is this, and it's, it's, it's a message to give out to everyone out there, is whenever you do something, do it as if nobody but you and God is doing it but do it the same way as if your boss was watching you do it. Exactly the same way. Why waste time? One other little story I'll share this less than a minute. 66 years old, Elena was our nanny. One day we took our little son out for lunch. Take the next couple hours off. Watch TV. Make your own lunch. Put Mexican TV on. You know, I think it was Channel 28 at the time. Put your feet in the air, right? She says, no, mister, I'm not going to do that. I said, please, you're going to get paid for it. You know, we love you. Just take, she says, I can't do that. And then she says to me, I'm 66 years old, and who knows how many decades I have left on this life. What's God going to give me? Do I want to waste my life and watch TV and go numb in the skull or do nothing? I would feel better and happier if I take my little dusting brush and find something I didn't dust or rearrange something. That makes me feel good. In other words, what's missing today is a lot of people want something for nothing. Or if they have free time, they waste that, whether it's watching TV or doing absolutely nothing or going to the bar or getting hired, whatever it might be. You have so much time. Why not contribute that time to something productive? Once you start doing that, you get more energetic, you're happier in life. And that's, that's one from a lady that probably never even went to grammar school from Central America that was just the most wonderful lady. Work yeah, absolutely. And and to me, and because I know you and I know your story, I know how this story, well, I can't say ended because you just keep powering ahead. But 
we got to get to John Paul Mitchell Systems and the hair care company, which you were basically homeless at the time that you decided you wanted to launch this. How did you go from all of your previous experience, from the Navy to selling encyclopedias to having done janitorial work to pumping gas to going into hair care? Very good. I had worked for several (laughs) years. I'd worked for several years with other hair care companies. So I knew the industry quite well. And then I tried to go into the consulting business myself. That didn't last long because I would tell you everything in one month you needed to know. You didn't need me anymore. Anyways, with a friend of mine, we thought Paul Mitchell, he was a hairdresser. I was more or less in business and formulation. And let's start a business. But we needed in 1980. January, we needed a half a million dollars to start the business. So Mr. Dick Holthouse from Citibank arranged for someone from Jersey, which is an island between France and England, to loan us the money for 60% of the business. He would own 60% of the business, right? Great, hooray. It was 40. Start out with 40. We said, we'll give you 60 when he changed his mind. Anyways, we're ready to start. I stopped everything I was doing. My relationship wasn't working out good. I left the newer car with her and I took the older car down the street because there's half a million coming in the bank. I had a few hundred bucks in my pocket. No big deal. He changed his mind. Ugh. Dick House to a friend got a hold of me that night, told me to call him, uh, collect, which I did. He said, JP, I hate to tell you this, but the last minute he changed his mind. Now, this is important for all of your customers to hear. Why did he change his mind? 1980, 1981, inflation in the United States was 12.5%. Yeah. Unemployment in the United States was 10.5%. We waited in line to buy gasoline. If you wanted a loan, if you wanted a loan and you qualified, prime rate, prime rate was 17% on a loan. Ouch. In other words, it was tough times and the economy sucked and our hostages were still in Iran. The guy said, with all this going on and your hostages are still in Iran, it's just too much of a gamble we pulled out. So I went down the hill to get the money. It wasn't there. My friend Paul flew over from Hawaii where he had a salon he was working because he was on his last few bucks too. No money. So it was basically, Paul, how much can you afford? JP, I could give him $350, right? <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. But thankfully- the vendors, the bottle maker, the screener, the filler, all thought we were going to big business. And they, we followed all along with them, our progress. So it was, okay, we're going to make this happen. I only had a few dollars in my pocket. I went to my mom and I said, mom, can I borrow $350? She goes, why? You're doing making good money, son. I said, mom, it's a new thing I'm starting. I'll give it back to you in a month. She goes, okay. That matched Paul's $350. We now had $700. The first guy you need to go to is the guy who does your artwork. So you can have artwork to take to the silk screener. I set up the bottle man, the silk screener, and the filler on 30-day credit. But we needed the artwork. He wanted $1,000 for it. Just the black and white without adding color to it. Uh. So we told him the truth. We only have $700. Can we give you $300 now? Because we could use the rest. He goes, nope. <laughs> give me the $700. I'll never see the rest. And we did. So I said, what the heck? I've been there before, you know, in my early 20s. I'm going to sleep in my car. There's a good spot on Mohol and drive Riker Park safely. Go down to Griffith Park. By gosh, go down there, you know, and take my shower. Go to the Freeway Cafe for 99 cents. Have breakfast. Go to El Torito at that time at happy hour where you could have a 99 cent margarita but they gave you these little chicken wings and all this salsa <laughs> free that was dinner endless and chips 
that was it. So from the time, the, the chips and the salsa. But that's, you know, a lot of chips and salsa and a couple of little chicken wings, you're full. And then I asked the, the vendors, I said, look, instead of the 100,000 bottles, can I have a sample order of only 10,000? 400 of the conditioner, I mean, 4,000 of the conditioner, 3,000 each of our two shampoos. Yes, you could do that, okay? We understand it's a sample order. They immediately shipped it to the silk screener, who immediately, same thing, it's a sample order, can you do it? We never said, we have no money, we want a sample order. We didn't lie, but we said we want a sample order. Anyways, from the time we got the bottles to the silk screener, the silk screener to the filler was two weeks. Within two weeks, the first bill was due. I piled product in my car and drove up Ventura Boulevard in Los Angeles, knocking salon to salon. Why salons? Because that was the industry I knew about. And that was the industry. My partner was a top hairstylist and his girlfriend were two of the best educators in that industry. Hmm. So door to door, like I sold encyclopedias. And by the end of the first week, I had sold 12 salons product, anywhere from like 30 some odd dollars to I think the most was $120. So now I had that money in my pocket. I went straight down to the biggest distributor in the city, Paris Ace, to Mr. Jim Hendrietto, headed it up. I said, here's my new product line, Paul Mitchell. Would you like to take it on? You could be the exclusive for all of LA and Orange County for only $2,000 of product. You get it all. He looked me in the eye and said, JP, great presentation. You're a great guy, but why do I need this? I have all the big lines. We're the biggest company around here. I don't need your line. I said, can I give you one reason why? He goes, yes, please, because we really don't want to promote your line because we're going to be promoting it, not you. You have no money. So I peeled out all 12 orders and all 12 checks that I got and put them right in front of him. I said, that's your first 12 orders. There's your first 12 checks. I will go in the field with your salespeople and teach them how to sell it. He laughed. He says, how much do I have to buy? I said, only $2,000. He goes, he laughed and said, I'm going to give you a break, but you better be here every day till it's sold. They said, great. I said, but the next thing is this. We're just starting out. Would you please give me the $2,000 when the product's delivered? He laughed and said, nope, we pay our bills in 45 days. I already knew that in advance, mm-hmm. obviously, being in the industry. I tacked up to the price of my product 5% automatically when I went in to see him. That was his price. So he, I said, look, we need the money. If you will pay when it's delivered, I'll give you a 5% discount off the whole bill immediately. He goes, well, that's pretty good. He goes, you know what? I don't normally do this, JP. In fact, I don't. But again, be here. I love your story. It was funny. You're great. I'll do it. He went to our 25th anniversary and told the story. JP leaves. Within five minutes, my warehouse man is calling me on the phone and says, some guy just dropped off all these products here in our shipping dock and wants $2,000. He said, that's JP. He was in my office less than five minutes ago. Well, he's already delivered it, you know. And that's how one to get started. But by leaving in your believe in yourself, mm-hmm. believe that you go out there and teach others how to sell or use your product effectively so that everybody benefits. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates it's faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed 
to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I, I love the Avapuhi. Am I pronouncing that correctly? The, the, that is correct. The, uh, that was found by hippies on this little farm Paul and I bought in Hawaii. We're three years in business, starting to make a little bit of money. Found this property really cheap on the Big Island of Hawaii. And Paul and his girlfriend, and me at that time, I, I did not have a girlfriend, but we thought, well, you know, eventually I'm going to have a wife, whatever, again. And we could buy this property, Paul, you take half of it, I'll take the other half. Eventually, we'll build little huts on it. We'll have it run by solar energy. So when we get older, we'll all always have a place to go to. While we were there, we had to hire a couple of local hippies to help us. One of them said, hey, I was reading about the Savapui, the ancient Hawaiians used to use. Look at the picture, the drawing. That grows wild in Wapio Valley. Let's pick it. So we picked some up. We had it analyzed. It had 19 of the 21 amino acids that hair and skin are made out of. So we said, let's try how it works in the shampoo and on the skin or just put it on by itself. The ancient Hawaiians would put it all over their skin, rub it, go under a waterfall, come out, put some more in their hands, put it on their skin as a conditioner on their hair to kind of groom it with. So that's how Avapui was started. Oh, I love that. And Everybody. I, I'm, I'm interested to know that very stark black and white uh, artwork, as you call it, that's John Paul Mitchell. Was that yep. the original artwork that was designed for the plain white bottles? Because it's so very, iconic. You're very close to the original. We did not have enough money for color. That's why we stopped at the black and white before they added color. Plus, the silk screener wanted seven cents to run color, two cents black and white. So we didn't realize that what we did was we created a unisex product line. We didn't even realize that. All of a sudden, the men liked it, the girls liked it. They both liked the style in the black and white. That was a total accident because we didn't have the money for color or fancy labeling. Oh. And it turned out to be iconic, and people love it to this day. A happy accident. And so sometimes people, and I always tell this to, to groups that I speak to, just because you think it's not what you wanted, sometimes you win for losing. Oh, boy. You Liz, can win you have, for losing. And there's fate. People have to believe fate. There's something much stronger than we are. There definitely is. You could call it the universe, the force, God. Definitely there's something there. And if you sometimes just open up your life to, I know it's going to happen, and just think positive that way, energies come out of the frequency to give you a helping hand. I'm a firm believer. I'm also a firm believer that the frequencies on this planet are rising. And if a lot of the young people out there or those that were young and maybe getting a few years up there in age realize that it's the way of doing less and receiving more for doing less isn't the way. Yeah. Socialism sucks. I mean, everyone's proved that. Obviously, it doesn't work anywhere. It destroys people because no disrespect. We want people all to be okay. But a lot of people today, if you don't mind me interjecting this, say the billionaires, let's take all the money from them. What they don't know is in the United States of America, 170 billionaires approximately are members of the giving pledge. Bill Gates is one of them. I'm one of them. Warren Buffett's one of them. There's about 170 that are Americans. We have all pledged. We were so fortunate to be where we are. Thank you, God. We we're so fortunate that we've all pledged 50% five zero of our wealth. Minimum. Of our wealth, minimum. Mm -hmm. While we're alive, 
After we die, or a combination of the two, most of us are doing a combination of the two to make the planet and the environment, the people better off because we were here. So the frequency is rising. All we say is to people get a little bit lazy or giving up hope. It's there or get a hold of a copy of Good Fortune, Good Fortune, the documentary. Take a look at that. It'll cost you maybe $4 to rent it, 5 bucks to own it. I don't know, but good fortune it's on Amazon. And take a look at starting with nothing, being homeless twice, and how you can make it. I'll tell you something, John. This is a very worrisome point in time where somehow people believe that by giving people money that that's a positive thing. You can't kill incentive, and you no, will you kill incentive if you punish successful people, especially people like you who came from nothing, made it, employed people, employ thousands and thousands of people, it's businesses who create jobs. I don't think that businesses should get some type of preferential tax treatment. Yes, our tax rate was way too high when you look at other countries on the globe, and it did need to come down. But when you start charging businesses less than middle-class folks when it comes to taxes, that becomes a problem. That said, you don't start handing things to people without them working for it. Our, cool. our tax money should be to help the truly helpless, people who got the short end of the societal stick or are disabled, whether it's mentally or physically. Damn, I'm going to be first to step up and help those people. But I do not like uh, you know, yanking money away from people who fought to make money like yourselves and just summarily handing it out. Because, oh, yeah. let, you know, let it's important. It. Yeah, exactly. It, oh, let, let us do it. In Austin, Texas, where my main residence is, in Austin, right? We have something we started called Mobile Loaves and Fishes, a community. We have about 240 homeless people that are living in these little houses that we built and provided. But we provided a whole community, wood shop, metal shop, uh, craft shop. I could go on and on, welding, whatever. Where when you go there, you got to pay rent. It's very low, by the way. If you don't pay rent... You're, you you have a handout, not a hand up. We're teaching homeless people capitalism. Homeless people, you got to pay rent. Well, gosh, I have no money to pay rent. I have a little bit of a subsidy, but how am I going to make the extra money? No problem. We have organic gardens you can work in. We have an auto shop to work in. We have all these things where you can make the additional money yourself and treat one another with love. The first people we take are those that have been out of a shelter for at least one year, no shelter for at least a year, and the handicapped, that the first ones that we bring on in there. But they're shown that we're giving you a hand up, not a hand out. Absolutely. Their attitude changes immediately, their attitude changes immediately. And they feel it's their community because they're paying rent in this community and participating in all their decisions. That's how people have to think. Don't just throw money at homelessness, here's some money for you, go do this, go do that. They want to be respected. They want a chance in life to work and give them a chance to have a hand up, not a hand out. I love it. Now, you could have so easily, forget resting on your laurels, resting on the billions of dollars in money that you eventually earned and came up with. And yet yeah. you said, no, let me start again. And you started Patron. You've got to tell me about Patron before we go, because I have... Lots of friends who are big fans of this tequila. You betcha. I started Patron uh, in 1989. 
a great idea. We wanted to get a tequila that you could sip. A friend of mine went down there who was working on this house I was building. And I said, when you go down there and said, we drinking what we normally do and hold our breath and shoot it, bring back a couple of bottles that the uh, aristocrats bring, uh, drink. He brought back these two plain bottles, and I said, that's as smooth as there is. He said, yeah, and this guy, Francisco Alcaraz, is a chef. He can make it smoother. I said, really? I was doing pretty good with Paul Mitchell at the time. Came on in there, and I said, this is so smooth. The new stuff you brought me, smoother than the other. Let's go into business. Martin and I went into business. I ordered 1,000 cases, 12,000 bottles. We brought it back to the United States. Best tequila in the world. Nobody wanted to carry it. Interesting story. (laughs) Not what they said. It's the best there is, but it's too expensive. We found a wine warehouse who sold nothing but wine. And we said, look, if we come down there, just buy $2,000 worth, okay? The old Paul Mitchell store. Ah, uh, the old 2K. We, we sell it, and we will give you Spago's as an account and the Baja Cantina. I knew Wolfgang Puck, and he liked the tequila. I'm trying to want more of it. And Martin knew the guys at Baja Cantina. They said, great. After one year, they didn't do more than 2,000 cases that year. We went to Jim Beam. Jim Beam had it for several years and came to us and said, guys, the reason you're complaining that we're only doing 12,000 cases a year where we should be doing, you think, 50,000 cases is, guys, you'll never do more than 20,000 cases a year. That's it. And here's why. Your tequila is the best in the world, but it's too expensive. It's $37 a bottle. That's what it was in, in those years. $37 a bottle. The average tequila is five bucks. Guys, you have the best. It's not going to happen. We dropped them and, of course, took over to another group and they took it all over ourselves. Long story short, when I sold Patron uh, this last year, Patron was doing close to approaching 4 million cases a year, approaching 50 million bottles a year. In other words, you believe in yourself. The new company that I'm starting here that I've been financing is Rocket Phones. It's the most sophisticated, Rocket, R-O-K-I-T, most sophisticated phone that you could look at a cellular phone and see 3D without glasses and have dual sums and telemedicine is built into it. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's a doctor on the phone. And, and they're being sold for under $300. Well, hold on, hold on. Uh, we're facing the coronavirus right now. And I have to tell you, we have uh, our eye on telemedicine companies because if people are staying home, they still would like to speak to doctors about their symptoms Uh, So this is out there now? This is an important selling point, I would think. Not only is it on every Rocket phone that we sell. We just started selling. I think we're already into probably 200 Walmarts, and we're online. We're on Amazon. But if you go to Rocket, R-O-K-I-T, yes, the phone has it, but we have a service. For example, somebody has a smartphone, but it's not one of our sophisticated phones, okay? These already invest in these smartphones. You could take it on as an app. And it's very inexpensive, matter of dollars, okay, for telemedicine. But when you go on our app, one person goes on, the whole family is covered. Mm. Your viewers just go to ROKIT, punch it, and look for what the Rocket apps are and the Rocket phones. It tells you everything right there. So from, and seriously, it's dollars. I'm not exaggerating. It's dollars, okay? Take a look at it. And it's set up. It's set up for the whole United States. And uh, we're now going into Mexico and other areas with it. I'd like to follow that story, John. And as we finish up, you are incredibly inspirational. And your energy and your optimism, your positivity is flowing through the podcast waves at the moment. I can tell that listeners are grabbing onto this saying, 
if he did this, so could I. Uh, Let's just end on this note to all the listeners who are maybe hoping or working on building successful businesses but aren't quite there yet. What's the one thing they need to have to power through life's obstacles? Be sure that you are prepared for a lot of rejection. That's the one thing. Do not let it affect you. Believe in yourself. Don't tiptoe through life to make it safely to death. Successful people do all the things unsuccessful people don't want to do. Life is so short, everybody. This is it. There's no dress rehearsal. Reach out, grab it. And, And even if it seems out of your grasp, just keep reaching. Eventually, you'll snag it. John Paul DeGioria, what a wonderful, inspirational person. I'm so honored to have you on. Here for you whenever you want me, Liz. You're a superstar. Peace, love, and happiness to you and your entire audience. We're only as good as our ability to be of service to others. Oh, bless your heart. Did you say here for you or hair for you? Because you are the hair guy. (laughs) You know, I got to run out and I got to make sure my TV's on to the claim and countdown. I got to make sure I watch that. Amen, brother. 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday on the Fox Business Network. John Paul DeGioria and, oh, that shampoo is the best. Patron, you guys get out there and try it because it all started with an idea and the ability to reject rejection. Thanks, John, and thanks to everybody who's been listening to Everyone Talks to Liz. We'll see you next time.